So today we're talking about marriage. And before we talk about same-sex marriage, we have to talk about marriage. What is, what is marriage? What does Jesus say about marriage? Turn with me to Mark chapter 10, verses 6 through 9. We looked at this passage last time. We looked at uh, the whole passage, but I want to focus in on just a couple of verses. And, And here's the question that I want you to reflect on today. What is marriage? What is it? And, and as a follower of Jesus, what, what does Jesus say marriage is? Okay? And let's focus in on verses 6 through 9. We could look at other passages too, but I want to focus on Mark 10 because it's a seminal passage. There's just so much here. So Mark 10, this is where the religious leaders, the Pharisees, come to Jesus and ask him if it's okay to get a divorce for any and every reason. He says, what did Moses command? They said, oh yeah, Moses said we could as long as we fill out the right papers. And, and then in verse 5, Jesus says, it was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law, Jesus replied. But at the beginning of creation, notice, God takes them back to the beginning. Back to At the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh, So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. We looked at this passage last time, so we won't repeat all of this. But I want to focus on what he says here about marriage. What is marriage? You know, our grandparents would have said, well, that's a silly question. Of course, marriage is a union of a man and a woman in a permanent exclusive relationship. Obviously. Well, it's not so obvious anymore, is it? Ryan T. Anderson writes, Explaining why marriage is the union of a man and a woman is like explaining why wheels are round, but it has to be done. So let's try, let's try to explain what, what is marriage. On, on June 26, 2015, with its decision in Oberfeld versus Hodges, the Supreme Court of the United States brought the sexual revolution to its apex. This has been starting really since the 60s, you know, the whole hippie thing in the 60s. And, and, and marriage has been, been under assault for all these years. And now we've really come to, you know, all that we're at today. So they, they redefine marriage by a vote of five to four. Do you realize that? Five to four. So close. They overruled the will of the people and made same-sex marriage the law of the land by a vote of five to four. And, and so what is marriage? Well, the Supreme Court, they, they wrestled with this, and they, they heard all kinds of opposing sides and views, and the Supreme Court ended up buying into what is called the consent-based view of marriage, which basically says that marriage is any consenting adults for any reason. Usually the reason is love, but the big thing is any consenting adults. And hey, love is love, right? How many of you heard that phrase? Love is love. So uh, some years ago, I, I was watching uh, the, the Glee, uh, you know, the, the, the TV show, and, and I love the music, tremendous music on, on that, that, that show Glee, but I quickly realized that they had a gay agenda. Some of their characters were gay, and they had a Christian high school student 
uh, who's having some some problems and questions about, well, you know, how should I relate to these these gay friends of mine here in high school? And finally, he just came to accept them. He said, hey, love is love, right? And, and it's firming. And, you know, that was kind of the argument of love is love. So, you know, everything's okay. And so you need to understand that Hollywood mainstreams these ideas and then government mandates them. Hollywood is the new discipleship. <laughs> Hollywood is discipling our culture and, and mainstreaming all of these ideas. And, and then government gets on board and mandates what, what has become pretty much mainstream in, in a lot of ways. That's what's happened the last few decades. Hollywood mainstreams and then government mandates them. So is this what marriage is? Just any consenting adults for any reason? Or is marriage more than that? The biblical view of marriage could be called the comprehensive view of marriage. Ryan Anderson and others explain this view, and it actually conforms very nicely to what Jesus says here in Mark chapter 10 about marriage. Marriage is comprehensive in that it comprehends or includes every aspect of your life, and it impacts all of society. Marriage unites your minds and your bodies and your lives in a way that no other relationship does. Marriage is fundamentally unique and different from all of your other relationships. Marriage is intended to be exclusive. Let's, let, let's look at these. Marriage is intended to be exclusive, permanent, monogamous, and complementary. So marriage is intended to be exclusive. Your loyalty, your sexuality is exclusively to your spouse. You say yes to one person and no to everyone else. It's an exclusive relationship. And it's permanent till death do us part. Not till I no longer feel like it or someone prettier or richer comes along. And, and, and marriage is monogamous. Mono meaning one. Gamos meaning wedding. Wedded to one. Not polygamy. Now, I know, you know what Bible has polygamy in it. What about Abraham and King David? And all we talked about that, that uh, a couple sermons ago. But, but everywhere it, it talks about polygamy in, in the Bible, there were problems. And, and so when, whenever, whenever, just because it, some people were, had multiple wives, it, it's not indicating what we should be doing. It's just describing what they did. So you have to go with the teaching of Scripture. So, so Jesus... He's saying marriage is, is exclusive. You're, you're loyal. Your sexuality is exclusively to one person. It's permanent and it's monogamous. Not polygamy, not two, not three, not four others, just one. And it's complementary. Complementary with an E, not with an I. It's not like I'm giving you a compliment, uh, a nice compliment, something nice to say about you. But it's complement in the, in the sense that, that we correspond and complete one another. We're different and yet we're made for each other and we complement one another. Men and women are biologically complementary to one another. It takes both to make a baby. Just look at the body parts. Isn't it obvious how complementary a man and woman's body parts are? How they fit together? This is what Jesus says about marriage. So watch this now. Let's look again at Mark chapter 10 and, and, and look at these, these four things. So here, here we have Jesus. He's saying, but at the beginning in verse 6, Mark 10, at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. That's complimentary, right? Male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. That's monogamous. 
the two, and he says your, your lives are going to be so comprehensively united together, you're going to be like you're one. And so they're no longer two but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. In other words, it's permanent. This is an exclusive relationship. And then he goes on in verse 10. When they were in the house again, the disciples asked Jesus about this. He answered, anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. In other words, this is intended to be permanent. So, so you see what, what, what marriage is. Marriage is it's exclusive. It's permanent. It's monogamous. It's complementary. These are necessary definitions of what marriage is. So the, the whole idea of marriage is created by God. Jesus said, in the beginning, God made them male and female. So the whole idea of male, female, sex, sexuality, marriage, family, children, it's all created by God. It's all of God's design. It's part of creation. It's part of reality. And when you go messing with that, it, it, you're just going to run into chaos. You're going to run into problems. You're going to hurt yourself, and, and society at large will be hurt. I dare say most of the problems we see in society today are related to the breakdown of the family. The drug epidemic, the depression, the anxiety, the poverty, the violence. It's all related to the breakdown of the family. See, when we ignore and defy God's created order, we fall into chaos. And that's what is happening before our very eyes. Chaos, confusion, no order, no structure. And people think it's freeing. Oh, we're tearing down all the old walls and all the old order and all the old structure. We can be free. Well, yeah, there's, I guess there's a certain freedom there. But, man, at least it's, it's frightening. And it's chaos. So here's what I predict. I don't pretend to be a prophet, but I'm going to prophesy. Okay? Let me prophesy this. I think this through now. Since marriage has been redefined, it's the law of the land now. Supreme Court did it. Marriage has been redefined. Why not redefine it some more? Right? We've already redefined marriage and says it does not have to be complementary. Marriage does not have to be between a man and a woman who biologically complement each other. We don't have to. Nope. So, well, if marriage does no longer have to be complementary, why should it have to be monogamous? Why limit marriage to two people? Mono, you know, you just one other. <laughs> why limit it to just two people? We've, we've already broken through the gender barrier. Why not break through the number barrier? Here's a quote from Ryan Anderson's book. He says, Professor Judith Stacy of New York University has expressed hope that redefining marriage will give marriage varied, creative, and adaptive contours, leading some to question the dyadic limitations. Dyadic, you know, Dyad meaning two, the dyadic limitations of Western marriage and seek small group marriages. See, now that the definition of marriage has been changed, what's next? What's next? There'll be something coming next. And now we're going to be able to redefine marriage to anything, even so. Maybe, maybe our life groups, maybe we should just all get married. How's that? You know, and we'll just all be married in our life. 
this, people are literally saying this. In their statement, beyond same-sex marriage, more than 300 LGBT and allied scholars and advocates call for legally recognizing sexual relationships involving more than two partners. So what's next? It's already coming, folks. I'm not even really much of a prophet. It's already coming. It's, 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 it, you can see it coming. Not only that, but why should marriage be permanent? If it doesn't have to be complementary, if it doesn't have to be monogamous, why should it be permanent? Why not get a marriage contract with, with five-year options? You know, I, I want to get married. Let's get married, but let's make a five-year option with, you know, option to renew. Option to renew. You know, why not? I mean, it's just two consenting adults, right? And maybe they want to consent to five years. I don't want to consent to the rest of my life. Let's just try five years. We all know that love comes and goes. I think I love you today, but I'm not sure if I'll love you five years from now. I mean, who knows if this could be permanent? You see? Well, and this is already happening. People are already beginning the process for these redefinitions. Why should marriage be sexually exclusive? Well, why not have a variety of marriage contracts that allow for extramarital sexual activity? I actually know a young couple. Some of you do too. They're married to each other. They have couple of kids, and they have what's called a polyamorous relationships. They, they allow their spouse to have other lovers. And they actually do things all together. They go on picnics together. They go to the mall together. You'll see their pictures in Facebook together. Here's the husband and the wife, and then maybe his girlfriend and her boyfriend and the kids, and they're all here doing something together because, you know, love is love. And how it's almost immoral to confine love to just two people. You see, if marriage is simply consenting adults for any reason, then there are no longer any definitions for marriage. Marriage is whatever you want it to be. Whatever gender, whatever number, exclusive or not, permanent or not. And if you try to put any boundaries on it at all, discrimination, bigotry. So I... I I predict, I prophesy that we're going to see all these different types of marriages in the future now that marriage has been redefined. There's no logical reason. All the reasons given for same-sex marriage can be given for these other redefinitions of marriage too. Now there's another angle to this that I want us to grapple with. We'll get, it, we'll get into the role of government and, and our social relationships a few weeks from now. But, but let's, let's just ask this question briefly today. Why, why does the government care? Have you ever really thought about this? What's the role of government? Why, why does the government care about marriage? Why, why do you have to have a marriage certificate and, and you know, all the, the legal things about marriage? Why? Short answer is because of the children. Because of the children. For a healthy society, for a healthy society to sustain itself, it needs to have lots of babies. And it needs these babies to be raised in healthy ways so that they grow up to become productive citizens so that the society continues. So governments have always, in one way or another, been regulating marriage because they understand that the society, the government has a vested interest in this. We need to keep our society going. We need to have healthy, productive citizens. And, and, and the best way to do this is marriage where a man and a woman are raising healthy, productive children. 
So those of you who are older, you, you might remember back in 1992, Vice President Dan Quayle, he was widely denounced for criticizing Murphy Brown. Do you, do you remember? How many of you remember Murphy Brown, the TV show? Uh, it was just a sitcom, you know, TV show. And, and Murphy Brown uh, with the main character, and she was a, a, played the part of a single mom in the show. And, and she had said some things about how you don't need a dad. And you know, men are just all trouble and all that. And Dan Quayle said that the TV show was guilty of mocking the importance of fathers by bearing a child alone and calling it just another lifestyle choice. And his remark back in the 90s caused a firestorm, like the firestorm Mario Lopez is in right now. And Candace Bergen, who played Murphy Brown on the show, said, it's time for the vice president to expand his definition and recognize that whether by choice or circumstance, families come in all shapes and sizes. Dan Quayle was called mean and stupid. Well, guess what? Since those early 90s, the evidence is in solidly and conclusively. Writing 20 years later, 2013, in the Washington Post, Isabel Sahel of the Brookings Institute, noting the explosion of single-parent homes and their impact on poverty, concluded, in the end, Dan Quayle was right. And Sahil caught very little flack for even saying that because there's so much evidence. The studies all show this. And now not only that, but President Obama just a year earlier told Parade Magazine, we can do everything possible to provide good jobs and good schools and safe streets for our kids, but it will never be enough to fully make up the difference. That is why we need fathers to step up, to realize that their job does not end at conception, that what makes you a man is not the ability to have a child, but the courage to raise one. Is President Obama saying this? There's such overwhelming evidence on this that now almost all social scientists admit it. Children need, children need their biological mother and their biological father. They don't need just any two people. It's not like, hey, any two people will do. No, they, need, they don't need two mothers. They don't need two fathers. They don't need just anybody to take care of them. They need their biological father. They need their biological mother. Now, of course, we live in a broken world where all kinds of things happen and mothers and fathers die or get divorced. And, of course, adoption is a wonderful thing. But the fact is the best thing for children is to be lovingly raised by their own biological father and biological mother. And not only that, but children need more than fathers who are committed to them. They need fathers who are committed to their mothers. John Wooden, arguably the greatest coach of any sport of any time, said, I agree with Abraham Lincoln. He once said that the best thing a man can do for his children is to love their mother. Wow. So it's no coincidence if you, if you study the whole context of Mark chapter 10, Jesus goes on to talk about children. He talks about marriage. He talks about divorce. And then he talks about the children. Because when, when children don't have their mothers and their fathers loving each other in an exclusive, permanent, monogamous, complementary relationship, they suffer. They suffer. This is why government cares about marriage. Because of the children. Now, I know you probably have at least 10 questions on the tip of your tongue. 
And there are so many angles to this, I know. But let's stop right here, okay? But we're going to stop right here. And next week, we'll get to some of those questions. And right now, I want us to end by, but we're going to have communion in just a moment. Dude. So we're going to segue into communion here in just a, a moment. I, I, want us, I want us to understand that what marriage is. Jesus says, at the beginning, God created us male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife. They will become one flesh. And if you look at that, Jesus is saying marriage is exclusive. It's permanent. It's monogamous. It's complementary. This is what Jesus says. In a moment, we're going to have communion. But before we do that, I, I want us to... Uh, I just want to invite all of our married couples uh, to, to come on up and stand at the front, if you would. And I would just want to have a prayer of blessing over all of our families. OK, so so husbands and wives, if you would, would you come and, and Sandy, would, would you come? My wife, Sandy, come on up here and, and let's let's rededicate our marriages. And then and then when we're done with this prayer, if you would quietly sit back down and we're going to receive communion together. Uh Sure, feel free. Come, come right on up on the stage even. Make room for others. And uh, where, where's my beautiful wife? She says, I'm not going up there. Where is she? Somebody part the waters and let her come on up here. Okay, there she is, coming down the middle. So what I'm asking us to do today is... Uh, would you confirm us? Confirm you yeah. in your in your marriage? Yeah. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Wonderful. Okay, right after we pray. Okay, here we go. Um, I, I know that that uh, you know marriage can be hard, right? And uh, and what we can do in in our society is to lean into our marriages and commit to each other that we're going to love each other better. And we're going to be more open and more honest and more humble. And again, this isn't about throwing stones. Because let's face it, we have enough of our own problems and our own shortcomings and our own sins. And so I want us to pray for our own marriages and realize what Jesus says here. That it is to be a faithful, committed, monogamous, exclusive, permanent, complementary relationship with, with each other. And, and maybe you're here today and maybe you're divorced, maybe you're single. I, I, and maybe you've seen a lot of bad marriages. I, I, won't, I just want to encourage you to, uh, to, real, to catch a vision of what God intended marriage to be. Okay? And we all fall short of that, I know. I mean, it's taken me like 40 years to get Sandy in shape. So <laughs> The truth is she is so patient with me. And I love you, honey. And uh, uh, let's just pray right now. Heavenly Father, we just offer our marriages up to you. And Lord, I know we try to grapple with all that's going on in our society today. Uh, it's so easy to throw stones. Whatever you believe, whatever side you're on on all these issues, it's just so easy to throw stones. And Lord, help us to just put down our stones and and, and yet help us to have the courage to speak truth and to live truthfully. Give us the courage that we need, Lord, and the humility that we need. And I pray for our marriages. It's hard. It's hard to have a good marriage. 
So, Lord, give us that strength. Give us that wisdom. Give us that commitment and dedication to each other. I pray for all of our marriages, Lord, that you would take us to new levels in love and commitment and holiness. And, Lord, I pray for those who are single. And, Lord, I know that sometimes you call us to be single. And that's a wonderful calling as well. I pray for our single people that maybe, maybe they feel like you've called them to be single. And, and that, that's a beautiful thing. And I pray that you would give them the strength and grace to be sexually pure and uh, to be a good witness in our society. Lord, and for any of us who are struggling with same-sex attraction, uh, feeling some transgender dysphoria, whatever it might be, Lord, help us to be kind and sensitive to one another and to grapple humbly with these things together. Lord, bless our marriages, we pray.